vision received was that of blood cells traveling throughout the body, supplying the much needed oxygen and other nutrients to the differing members of the body to fulfill their purpose. Once the blood cells are spent, they must return back to the heart to be refilled before being sent out again and fulfill their purpose. Amen, saints. Good afternoon. It's good to be with you. Good to see your faces. Good to be in the same house to hear of the Lord this morning. Um, today's message is going to come from only one book. Only one book. And it was during the days of the judges that this particular book was written. Although I personally have issue with the title of the book, it's just me personally, not that there's anything wrong with it, but um, I just think that this book should be titled in someone else's name. Um, as I read it and as I see the gist of the message and the content, um, I think this book should be named Naomi, but that's just me. So I would like everybody to look at the book of Ruth. And it was, this book was written during the days of the judges, where the judges ruled. We knew, we know, uh, the time of the judges. We know many of the famous ones, Gideon and Samson and, uh, so many others that we've studied in times past, but those are the two that, that come to my mind most quickly when we talk about the judges. And this account starts with a certain man. He came from the city of Bethlehem. He was from the Bethlehem Judah in the southern country of Moab. And he had a wife. His name was Elimelech. And he and his wife and his two sons came from the family of Ephraim. And his two sons' name were Malan and Chilion. And they were married, they, they were together, I, I don't know how young or, or how long they were together, but they must have been for a good amount of time. And at some point in time in their life, as it happens in all of our lives, we get bad weather. And in this particular case, a famine rushed throughout all the land. And they were desperate for sustenance, they were desperate for food, and they Felt like they couldn't stay where they were in Bethlehem. So they decided to move to the southern country of Moab. Does anybody remember where the Moabites came from? What family line? Anybody at all think or remember? Where did Moab come from? John, go right ahead. We'll see. Ishmael? No. Not come from Ishmael. Probably feels a little bit like the the uh, contest you had last year. <laughs> no, it wasn't the Ishmaelites that the Moabites came from. Anybody else with a take a, a, a gander, a, a little check, maybe check that a uh, little uh, genealogy chart over there. Anybody? Yes. Jacob's brother. Yeah. Who's Jacob's brother? Oh, he forgot his name. What? <laughs> One of them brothers out there. Oh, the one who sold his birthright. 
Esau? Esau? You think the, you think the Moabites came from Esau? Well, I haven't looked back that far, but I'm pretty sure, and I know that the Moabites came from, they are the children of, oh, oh, we got one? The one that, boy, we're speaking in a lot of generalities today. Nothing specific. Well, what's about, you know, somebody in the old covenant. Yeah, 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 yeah. Somebody in the old covenant. Okay, so the one with two what? The wife got a birth. Oh, you are absolutely correct. <laughs> it was the nephew of Abraham. Anybody remember now? Lot. Yes, the Moabites are the children of Lot. So they had to leave Bethlehem. They had to move to the country of Moab. And they spent time in Moab. Don't know exactly how long, but Naomi, and who I think that this whole book is really centered around her and really nobody else, um, not that nobody else is important in this book. I just think it's all centered around her. Naomi's husband dies in Moab. And because there's a famine back in their own homeland, they decide, we're going to stay here. Even though dad passed away. And so Milan and Chilion find themselves wives. And their names are Ruth. And Orpah. And they remain in the land of Moab for about 10 years. Because of this famine. And they just decide to move to there. And they, they make their abode there. And, and then at the end of 10 years. Milan and Chilion. The sons of Naomi. They die. Now sometimes you got to pause when you read these accounts. This is, this is a real person's life, and you gotta kinda, kinda imagine yourself in that situation. Naomi loved her husband, loved her children, did what was necessary to, to, to have a family. They have to move, they're forced to move to a country they know not of. And then a husband dies. They remain there ten years. The son gets a wife, the other son gets a wife, and, and they're together as family. And, and, and they're tight, all five of them. And for whatever reason, I can't even tell you, the sons die. And she is stripped of all of her blood, if you will, family, covenant family, being her husband and her children. And now she's with her daughter-in-laws. Not that she hates them, but she's stripped of everything that she's ever known and loved for many years, at least 10, if not more, because I don't know how long she was married uh, or how old her children were when they died. And Naomi decides at some point after her children die, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. And it's, and she says it's because in verse six it says she had heard how God was providing bread and visiting his people to give them bread. I mean, she's got, she don't have much to hold on to. She just sort of had heard through the grapevine. 
And so she tells her two daughter-in-laws, I- I'm going back. And, and their two daughters-in-law decide, we're going to go back with you. And they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. And while Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws are on their way, coming back to Bethlehem, Naomi's thinking, and she's pondering, and she's putting her daughters-in-law before her. And she stops and she says, no, 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 wait. You have been so kind to my children. You have been so kind to me. I can't bear to bring you to Bethlehem. Not knowing what's in store for us there. Because when I last left, there was a famine there. There might not be food there. At least you have food here. At least you have a family here. At least you have your, 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 your mothers that you can go back to. I want you to go back to your mothers. Because I, I want you to have rest. You have been so kind. It says, uh, you have to read it in her words. Go return to your mother's house in verse 8. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. She recognized how loving they were to her and to her children. She could not bear to bring them to a place to have them suffer. She did not know where she was going. It would rather be her suffering than her daughters-in-law who were so good to her and her children. And the Lord grant you, she wanted the Lord to grant them to find rest, each of you, in the house of your own husband. In that day, that was important, that you be with a husband, that the woman be with a husband who's going to care for them. And it was to them a rest. And she wanted that. She wanted that more than ever for her two daughters-in-law. And she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice, and they began to weep. An emotional moment. Us men really can't understand that. That kind of doesn't happen with us. Mm-hmm. Man says he's gonna go somewhere. Okay. See you around. You know? But no, no, the, the women have a much more intimate emotional bond and then they'll weep in there and they said to her, surely we're gonna return with thee unto thy people. And, and Naomi, she appreciates it. I know she does, because she's thinking of them, and she she turns to them and she says, "Why, why go back with me? Even if even if I were to get a, a husband right now, are you going to wait until my husband and I conceive and bring forth children, and then are you going to wait for them to grow up so that they can then become your husbands? Because." You, you know something about kinsmen and kinsmen redeemers and all of that stuff. And she's like, no. No. I don't have any more children in my womb to be your husband. And even if I did, it would take too long. It, it, she was very pragmatic. Very practical thinking. No, th- this is not going to work in her eyes. And so, they lifted up their voices and they wept again. And so you had this other emotional moment and there's a lot of tears and hugging and embracing and crying and, 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 and Orpah kisses her mother-in-law, goes back to her parents. 
And there was something that, that Naomi said. And it's something that gives you an idea of where she was mentally in her emotional state. Because you can't wait for my children to grow up so that you can have a husband. She said, no, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sake. See, her her heart is just about, I want what's best for you. I want you to find rest. I want you to find your own husband. Please don't go with me. For she said, it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. So right there in that moment with those words, you just get a glimpse of where she's at right now. And how many of you have been there on your own? How many of you lived life long enough where you've been in that moment where you feel like the Lord is against me? I don't know what else to do. I don't know where else to turn. But he seems to be just not, he, he's just not for me. That's where she was at. And I don't want to bring anyone else with me when I know, when I feel like the Lord is not for me. Right now. I don't want anybody else to suffer. Let it be me alone, but not anyone else. So Orpah goes back, but Ruth clave unto her. That's that word cleaving. I think that made the first time that that was ever used in the scriptures was in Genesis, where the woman and the man cleave or clave unto one another. But what Ruth, not being married to her, just like, no, no, I'm not leaving you. And, and, and Naomi says, look, your, your, your sister has gone back to her people. And Ruth said in verse 16, entreat me not to leave me. In other words, don't ask me to leave you or to return from following after. Don't ask me to go back after I follow after you. For wherever you go, I'm going to go. Wherever you stay, I'm going to stay. Your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. And where you die, I will die. And I will be buried there. And the Lord's do more, do that to me or more if death part from me and thee. That, that, that to me is a great, great confession. And, and Naomi was maybe caught aback at how convincing and how fully persuaded she was to make this commitment to her. So you just got to stop and, and meditate on how the, 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 the immensity, the enormity of all of these words. And Naomi looks at her and when she saw that she was so steadfastly minded to go with her, she left with her. I mean, this un, this unwavering commitment to remain with Naomi is so, uh, it, it, it almost, you can't put it into words how inspiring it is to have someone be of such commitment. And they're not blood. They're not family per se in that sense of blood. Like she's my sister, she's my brother, you know, even she's my cousin. I mean, we're talking about distant, distant. We're talking about distant cousins. And yet she's willing, after having married her son and having her son die, to not go back to her parents, but to stay with her. To not leave her alone. And maybe that was what was on Ruth's heart. No. I, no. Okay, Orpah left, but no. I, I dare not leave you alone. 
You're going to make the trip back to Bethlehem alone? No. No, I'm staying with you. And it's not just to get you back to Bethlehem. I'm going to stay with you for the rest of your life. That was the commitment she was making. Where you die, I'm going to die and be buried. I, I'm, I'm just so awed at, at, at this type of commitment that she had. And so the two travel back to Bethlehem. And, and it's interesting that they went back to Bethlehem. We, we know how important that, that city is in, in the history of the scriptures. But they moved back to Bethlehem. And so obviously if they moved back to Bethlehem, it said in the beginning that they were from Bethlehem. Elimelech, his family, his, it, w- w- were in Bethlehem. And the family of Elimelech came from that city. And when she got there, the whole city was like, wow, hey, is that Naomi? They remembered her. And she said to them, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means to be pleasant. And look at what she says. Call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Again, it, it just shines at her mental, emotional, spiritual state. In that moment, she really, really felt like, God's got an issue with me. I'm not sure exactly what it is. But don't call me Naomi because that's a person that's pleasant. And right now, I'm not pleasant. I'm actually very bitter. Call me Mara. I went out with a husband. I went out with a brood, a family of children. And I come back bereft of everything that I had when I left. The Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. And I, and I, I, I just, I appreciate how, how honest the scriptures are with us. Because we need to be able to relate to these people. These are not stories. Like you might read in a fairy tale book that somebody made up. These are actual people's lives. And I appreciate that in this day, the people of God recognize that no matter what happens to them in life, whether it be good, whether it be bad, whether it be ugly, they attribute it all directly to the hand of the Lord. It's not like, oh, well, the, 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 it's just a circumstance. It's just, it's just by chance. It's just, it, no. If it was good, they attributed it to the Lord. If it was bad, they attributed it to the Lord. If it was ugly, they attributed it that this is the Lord's hand. When the weather comes around, it wasn't like it was a happenstance thing. Like, we're all scientific in our day and age, and we can track the weather and see its travel and see how it goes up and down. And we don't, we don't, we don't mention God in the least bit. Yet God is the one that is absolutely sovereign in control of everything that happens to us. Even the very rain that drops on our houses and our land that we drive through. It's not happenstance. So it's hard for me to 
you know, ask the Lord, you know, Lord, ho- hopefully make it not rain because, you know, we got a game to play this weekend for soccer and it's going to get rescheduled and oh my gosh, it's going to create all sorts of things. No, after, after a lot of time, I recognize, Lord, whatever you will. If we don't play, we don't play. If it rains, it rains. If it's dry, it's dry. Whatever. But you, we, we have to start attributing and recognizing. This is how you acknowledge the Lord in all of your ways. You acknowledge Him in all the ways. And all the things that happen to you. Because it, it recognizes His sovereignty. It recognizes He is absolutely in control of everything that happens to you, big and small. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And I stop right there because I need you to understand that as you read these, somebody is recording these things that happen in their life. And so they put this little, you know, parenthesis thing. You know, Naomi had a husband. It is mighty man of wealth. It is a family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. And he just puts it there because he's telling a story. He's giving an account and he wants you to understand the importance of this man Boaz and then, it, and then it just stops and then it starts talking about let's get back to Ruth. Let's get back to Naomi. And it says, Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi hey, we need some, we need to eat. And if you think about time wise, Naomi's probably older than her daughter-in-law. They got married young back then. And she's probably of the age that she really can't go out and work like a young strapping man or or young strapping young girl can. And so Ruth says, hey, I think I should go out into the field. And, and, And I need to glean some sustenance, some corn. And Naomi heard her. And, and there's something interesting that, that Ruth said, and, and she said, let me go to the field, glean ears of corn, and, and in whose sight I might find grace. And hopefully if I go into the field, because they allowed, they allowed the poor to go to the fields. They allowed them to pick up the corn that was dropped and left behind. That, that was a part of their, of their, of, of how they treated their poor. They allowed them to come in and say, yeah, yeah, it's left over, go ahead, have it. Clean it up and you can have it. We'll, you know, it's our, it's our field. We'll take the choice. But if we drop a few, you know, let, let the poor come in and glean. That's what she's talking about here. And she says, hopefully in the field that I go into it, hopefully I find favor. Hopefully they'll treat me right. Okay? It's not like they knew it was Boaz. I need you to understand it. They didn't know who they were going to. They just, they needed sustenance. And so Naomi hears this and says, well, go, my daughter. And she went, and she went into glean in a field, and there were reapers, and it says in verse 3, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. Now, when I first read that, a hap, I thought that was like a bag or something. I thought that was like some wicker basket, you know. No. It means chance. By chance. By fortune. By luck, if you will. So by chance, she's not planning this. She doesn't know anything about Boaz. By chance, she enters into a field and it happens to be Boaz's. And Boaz happens to be related to Elimelech. But they didn't know this at the time. And so Boaz, now this field is not in the city of Bethlehem. She's got to walk and travel. So obviously the fields are outside the city somewhere. And so 
on on the day, on the day that uh, R- Ruth goes into a field and starts gleaning corn and all this stuff, obviously you have to ask the, the, the servant there that's taking care of the fields if you can go into the fields and get their permission. And they hear you out and say, yeah, yeah, you can get your permission and then it's no big deal. Well, Boaz is the owner of that particular field and he's coming in from the city. You know, like the story of the husbandman who comes to to see what his servants are doing in his house. So that's what he's kind of doing. So he comes in from Bethlehem and he's greeting his harvesters. He says to his servants, the Lord be with you. And they respond, the Lord bless you. And so there's a nice little interchange there. And Boaz came and he spoke to his head servant, his overseer of his field. And he says, who's that? Who's that lady? Who's that woman over there? And so the servant, uh, who, who's head over the reapers and the different harvesters there says, well, that's the Moabitish woman. Uh, she came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she came to me and, and she said, you know, let me glean and gather, you know, after the reapers among the sheaves. And, and she came and she's been working here since the morning till now. And, and she teared a little bit in the house. She was, you know, in the house a little bit. And, and Boaz. Now, you got to understand something. This is not a quote-unquote direct version of everything that was said between the servant and Boaz. It's just giving us an idea of what are some of the things he said. Okay, that was a person from Naomi that came back from a far country and all this stuff. So Boaz turns to Ruth and says, Hey, listen up, young girl. Go not to another field and glean. Don't leave this field. Abide here. Stay here with my maidens and let your eyes behold my field alone. Reap only from my field. For I have told the young men not to bother you. Not not to harass you, not to charge you. Don't do it. I've told them, hey, you're going to be taken care of here. They're not going to touch you. And when you're thirsty, go ahead and get something to drink. This is the owner. Not just the servant overseeing. This is the owner coming in. She don't know the owner from nobody. She just went to a field and by chance it happened to be Boaz. And she fell on her face and she bowed down her face on the ground and she said, why have I found grace in your eyes? There's that word, finding favor, finding grace. And that thou you t- that you should take knowledge of me and you should look on me as such and seeing I'm a stranger. Why? And Boaz answered her and said, It hath been fully showed to me all that you have done unto your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left father and mother and the land of, of your birth and you are come to a people which you knew not. The Lord recompense you for your work and a full reward be given to you from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings thou art come to trust. And when I read that, I said, wow. Ruth didn't do this to show off. Ruth wasn't trying to garner anybody's attention. She had this undying love and compassion for her mother-in-law. She would not release her, allow her to be alone. And she it was just between her and, and Naomi. And I read this and I remember a, a particular name of the Lord. Anybody remember the Lord sees? El Roy. 
Anybody remember that? The Lord sees everything that you do. He sees your plight. He sees your sacrifices. He sees your struggles. And he is not the type of God that will see that type of sacrifice and not allow you to be rewarded. The first time that that word, the Lord sees, was used was with the mother of Ishmael. Remember who that was? Hagar. Hagar was being totally mistreated by Sarah, so much so that she was getting kicked out. And the angel of the Lord came to her, and she said, the Lord sees me. See, and and I just remembered that in this moment. The Lord sees everything that we go through. Every trial, every tribulation, every tear, every struggle, every obstacle, every time we're gasping for breath, every time we're struggling with kids in our classes that are disrespectful, every time that we are dealing with, with offenses and, and their true offenses, every time he sees all these things. And every time we're sacrificing for others and we don't get anything necessarily in return materially, God is seeing all of these things. And according to Boaz, he knows his God so well that the Lord will not allow you to go through it and not recompense you for all of your sacrifice. He is going to reward you. And we, on the other hand, sometimes need to be so aware of how God works that we need to be in line with him so that we could be the person to reward that other person for making that sacrifice. Because that's what Boaz is right now. God is blessing Ruth through Boaz. Because he could have just said, oh, well, that's interesting. And he could have gone about his merry way. No bother to me. But he didn't. And, And Ruth was enormously grateful enormously humbled at the kindness shown unto her, even though she wasn't a part of the Bethlehemites from Judah. She was from Moab, different people, if you will. And she was allowed to eat with the rest of the harvesters and, and, and Boaz, you know, gave her protection and told his servants, don't you bother her. Don't you bother. And then he goes farther. Beyond what he told Ruth, he tells his servants, they said, hey, Let her glean from the sheaves and don't even reproach her. Let her take the corn right from the stalk. Don't say a word to her. Let her. That's even more favor. That's even more grace compounded. And let also fall some from your own handfuls for her. The choice is one. Go ahead and drop a few. Go ahead. Let her have it. So she's, and she doesn't know this, but the, the, the person that's telling us this account, the storyteller, is telling us that's what Boaz did. And he's just he's just piling on loads of favor and grace for this woman. And don't rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until even. See what I'm saying? Naomi probably was not capable of doing this. Too old. Not that there's anything wrong with being old. We're all getting old. But there's some point in time where we get old and we can't do the things we did when we were young. Ruth. (laughs) Ruth, from morning to evening, was gleaning in that field. 
She took all that she gleaned. She went into the city. She saw her mother-in-law and she brought forth and gave up what she was able to glean. And boy, oh, it sufficed. It was a nice amount. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? Where'd you get all this food? Again, they didn't know anything about Boaz in that moment. And she says, oh, she says, she says, her mother-in-law says, where did you glean today? Where did you do all this work? Blessed be the person that took knowledge of thee. She's already blessing the person, doesn't even know that the person is actually her kindred. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought and worked. And he said, well, the man's name with whom I wrought was today is Boaz. And look at how Naomi responds. Because remember Naomi. God's against me. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. I've lost everything. She's probably in depression. I would probably be. Losing the, 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 the dearest one that I love, my husband. Losing my dearest two only sons, only children. I'd probably be, be dealing with depression and trying to combat that. She's in depression, but all of a sudden, Naomi said unto her daughter, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left his kindness to the living and to the dead. And she said to, and, and Naomi said to, to Ruth, That man is a near relative of mine. He's one of our next kinsmen. See, Naomi's eyes of faith were opened right there. Sometimes it just takes that moment in the midst of our depression for God to just shine a light and for us to get our attention. <gasps> that's my, that's my brother-in-law. Because Elimelech was Boaz's brother. We'll get to that later. And so she recognized, wow, this is unbelievable. Unbelievable. And she said to, to Ruth, it is good that, that you, my daughter, go out with his maidens and don't go to any other field. She knew the stature of, of Boaz. It said it started at the beginning. He was a wealthy man. It didn't say rich. It said he was a wealthy man. So she kept Fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean in the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest and dwell with her mother-in-law. So the barley harvest starts about in Abib and it goes into the second month. Abib is the first month and it probably goes into the second month. It probably ends around the second month. So it's about March or April that they get there. She starts gleaning and she continues it to the end of the barley harvest, probably a month into the next month because then the weather starts changing and they have to harvest their, their stuff in a particular month and that's where the harvest starts. So I would say probably about a month, maybe a month and a half to, she is gleaning from Boaz's fields and they're getting sustenance because they had nothing when they got there. And then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, my daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee? Remember when they left Moab? What was her concern? That you find rest. You, my daughters, go find rest with your own husband. So now, Naomi sees a door that she did not see before. Because now she's pondering, hmm, what if? That's faith. 
Because God is a God of the impossible. What if? Now is not Boaz one of our kindred whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he went with barley on this night in the threshing floor. Listen, Boaz is our kinsman. I'm interested in finding you rest. I'm not interested in myself. I'm not interested in finding someone for me. I'm interested in you finding rest. And so I want you to go take a shower. I want you to go take a bath. I want you to get yourself cleaned up. I want you to put on a nice raiment and garment. And and I want you to go this night to where Boaz is. But I don't want you to tell him you're there. I don't want you to get his attention. And when he's done eating, when he's done drinking, and he lies down, I want you to look at where he lies down. I want you to keep it in mind and let him go to sleep. And later on, I want you to go in, I want you to uncover his feet. And I want you to lay down at his feet. And then wait for him to tell you what to do. Now, why in the world would Ruth know that she should do that is beyond me. Very important that Naomi was there. Because Naomi just gave her flat out very detailed instructions about what you need to do tonight. And I don't think she would have known to just lie down at his feet, uncover it, lie down at his feet. I don't think she would have known that. Maybe it was a custom of the day. I, I don't know. But there was something significant about lying down at their feet. And waiting for him to tell you what to do. Maybe it was a symbol and a sign of gratefulness. For all that he had done for her. All that time that he was, he was allowing her to glean in the field. Maybe it was a, a sign of willingness to surrender, to submit to him. And Ruth responds, All that you said to me, I will do. Ruth responds with a complete obedience. Doesn't question at all a thing. I'm going to do exactly what you said, okay? And it says in the scripture, she did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. So Boaz, he ate, he drank, his heart was merry, he went to lie down on the end of a heap of corn. There he went to sleep. And she did exactly what she was told. She went to him quietly, she uncovered his feet and lie down there. It says in the very next verse, and it came to pass around midnight that the man was afraid and he turned himself and he behold, a woman lay at his feet. He got frightened unexpectedly. He wasn't lying down with no woman at his feet when he went and lied down. He remembered that much. But now there's a woman at his feet. It's not like they had electricity back then. It's like he could just shine a flashlight on and say, who's that? He doesn't know what's going on. Who's that at my feet? I didn't lie with nobody at my feet. And so he wakes up, gets her attention. He says, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, thy handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. She's coming to him with the knowledge that you are that kinsman redeemer. You are that relative. And, and that's why I said before, maybe it was a sign of, of gratefulness, but also a sign of wi being willing to surrender and submit to someone that you come at his feet and ask him to be your what? Covering. 
Because that's what she's asking. We're using the cloth, the, 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 the skirt, to, to, to signify in a natural way what she's really asking for. You're the, my kinsman redeemer. I'm asking you to take, take hold of me, take cover me, take care of me. I'm willing to submit to you. And Boaz said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter. For thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. See, Boaz, she's been keeping an eye on her. And he has noticed, you weren't chasing after those young men, my servants. You don't have this reputation that you're out and about to take care of yourself. You are working out in the field from when to when? Morning to evening. You, your business is not caught up. I didn't see you talking with the men and, and flirting and this and that. He saw her diligence. He saw her resourcefulness. And the fact that she came to him at this night in this manner. And she saw her wisdom. Because she's coming to him. Beseeching him according to their customs. And I wouldn't say the law. Because Moses wasn't around yet for the law. Okay? But it was the custom to take care of family. In that way. So... He even says, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that you require. For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a, anybody know what he said? Virtuous woman. And you go to Proverbs 31 and you see the qualities and the, and the elements and, and the characteristics of a virtuous woman. That's what he was saying she had. And he recognized that. And now up at this point, let me just pause here and think. Is he acting like a married man? He doesn't seem to be married. Because wouldn't you go to bed with your wife if you had a wife? No, he went to sleep on a heap of corn alone. Not realizing someone was lying at his feet at the time. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm venturing, I'm speculating that he was probably without a wife. I'm venturing and speculating that he was probably without children for an inheritance. I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. But I'm just saying, he, seems, he just seems to be acting like, like a person that is, wow. And, and we'll see how we contrast to someone that's maybe in a different state. So he says, I'm going to take care of you. But he's honest. Like this about him. Very noble of Boaz. He says, it is true that I am your relative. But there was a kinsman nearer than I. There's someone else that's a relative that's closer to you than I am. I'm not just going to go and swoop you up when I know that someone else has first dibs. I'm not going to take it away from that person. So I want you to stay here this night. I want you to stay here to the morning. And if he, meaning that other kinsman, will perform the part of the kinsman, then let him do his part. It's his responsibility. I'm not going to steal that from him. I'm not going to give him the opportunity. If he'll do it, then 
let it be done. But if he will not do the part of the kinsman to thee, then I will do the part of the kinsman to thee. As the Lord liveth, lie down into the morning. So she reassured her, this is going to be taken care of. A kinsman will be brought forth for you, whether it be him or me. Don't worry about it anymore. So she wakes up in the morning and, and he, as gracious as he was, says, let me get your veil. And they filled it with, with uh, wheat barley. And she then left, went back into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she told her all that had happened, all that had done. And she measured six measures of barley. He said, take these six measures and go not empty unto your mother-in-law. So he's aware of not just Ruth, but he's also aware of Naomi. She's done all of this to provide sustenance, not for Ruth, but for Naomi as well. He recognizes that. And how many times in life do, do we may partially make a commitment and man, we're getting blessed like Ruth was. We're, we're getting blessed with, with material things and, and yet, and then we start kind of forgetting our, our obligations and our responsibilities and we just sort of get all drunk in our blessings. But not Ruth. Ruth didn't forget what her commitment was to, even though she was getting all of this favor from Boaz. So we come to the end in chapter 4, and Boaz went to the gate. He went away for this relative, this kinsman, who had first dibs on, on, on Ruth per se. And he made sure that there were elders in the city gathered there at the gate. He got ten of them. And they all sat there. And when he saw his kinsmen, he said, hey, 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 come over here. Let's sit down and talk. And Boaz and his kinsmen were brothers to Elimelech. He said unto, to, he said unto uh, his, his, his relative, Naomi, that has come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land, which was our brother's Elimelech's. So now we realize the, the, the connection, the, the relationship. They're both brothers of Elimelech. They both have uh, dibs, if you will. And maybe this brother was older, and so he had the right of refusal or acceptance to Elimelech's portion. Something that he, she, he had first dibs. And so, Naomi, all this time, it says here, was attempting to sell that property. She was desperate. She needed money. She, she had to sell a Limelech's part, part of land. Not just a Limelech's, but also Chilion and Milan. Because they're all together. They all owned it. And now that it fell to the wife to kind of figure out, well, what are we going to do with it? I can't work it. I can't take care of it. So it's, he says to her, she's trying to sell it. And he says to his brother, and I thought to advertise thee, saying, buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, tell me that I may know. So just let me know. If you're, if you're going to buy it, go ahead and let me know. Let me buy it. And then if you're not going to buy it, well, let me know because I'm kind of interested. Did he mention Ruth? No. He didn't mention Ruth at all. It was all about buying Naomi's parcel of land. 
So, when the kinsman hears all this, he says, hmm, yeah, I think I will redeem it. So that's his response in verse five, 4. And so Boaz then responds and says, okay, well, the day that you buy the field of the land of the Naomi, you must also buy of Ruth the Moabites, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. In other words, you not only have to take possession of the land, you also have to take responsibility for Ruth. Because she's a kinsman. And it is in our custom that we then fulfill our duties to our brother so that he can have offspring and continue his lineage. And so when he heard that part, he was like, wait, 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 wait. I thought, I thought this was just about land. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I mar my own, what? Inheritance. Which is why I think for Boaz that might not have been there. Might have been easier for her to want to have a wife, want to have children. Not issues with fighting over inheritance and stuff like that. Because I'm sure that, that there were issues in that time about who's going to get the inheritance. The natural bloodline of my own offspring or because I had to fulfill my duties as a kinsman to, to my brother who died or, or whatever who died and then I got to now split the inheritance with them and, and then there's probably some infighting. He didn't want any of that. So, since I cannot redeem it for, for myself, you can go ahead and have it. He relinquished his right to the land and the responsibility to Ruth and Boaz. And it was, don't ask me to explain this, I don't know, I didn't research it, but there was some sort of manner or custom that when you make a, an agreement or a custom, you're supposed to take off your shoe and give it to them. <laughs> That's part of the arrangement, okay? So when you gave it to your neighbor, that was a testimony. That was a sign of an agreement, of a covenant that you made, an exchange or a transaction. And so Boaz that day bought a parcel of land, the responsibility for Naomi's land, for the children's land, and for Ruth. Boaz declared before all the witness that he not only takes all of Elimelech and the son's land, but also as a kinsman redeemer, he takes responsibility to for Ruth and take her as his wife to raise up his brother's offspring. And all the elders were there. Why? Because they had to witness it. That way they could all keep them accountable to this agreement that they just made. It wasn't just, well, he said, she said, no, you did it in front of all of us. Which is why your marriages should be done with a multitude of witnesses, right? To make sure that you both are going to stay in agreement. Okay? And all the people that were at the gate, the elders, we are witnesses, they said. The Lord make the woman that has come into thy house like Rachel and like Leah. You remember those two? They didn't have just one children. They had many children and many offspring. Through a lot of hardship. Remember that? Lots of hardship. And they built the house of Israel. And they did it worthily unto Ephraim. And they, want, they, they wanted, the blessing to them was to be famous in Bethlehem. 
And let thy house be like the house of Pharaoh, whom Tamar bare unto Judah, of the seed which the Lord give thee of this woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And then I find it so interesting. This is why I think it was really all centered around Naomi. Because it started with Elimelech and Naomi in the beginning. Do you remember that first chapter? It was then too. And here's where it ends. After she bare a son, it says, And the women around, the women of the city, the women that knew Naomi, they knew Ruth. This is what they said. Naomi, be blessed of the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman. The Lord sees. The Lord has not left thee. He has not forsaken thee. Look at what he has done. He has brought forth a kinsman so that your line and the line of your husband can continue. He has been seeing you and he has been faithful to you. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, a nourisher of thine what? Old age. So I wasn't really stretching my speculation there. Yeah, she was old. She couldn't do that on her own. And for thy daughter-in-law, which what? Loveth thee. All that Ruth did for her mother was out of love. She is better to thee than seven sons. She bore this one that's going to revive your life. And Naomi took the child and did what? laid it in her bosom, and became a nurse unto it. I mean, she helped raise it. She lost her two children, remember that? And now she's gotten kind of a new chance at raising a son. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying there was a son born to Naomi through Ruth, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Why is this so important? This this little four-chapter book, why is it so important? Because it was the line of Jesus Christ. And what a real important account that needed to be shared with us today. Because Jesus did the same for us. He was our kinsman redeemer. He was our brother that stood in the gap so that we could be redeemed. Elimelech and his brethren from, from the line of Pharaohs in whom came Boaz, Obed, Jesse, David. David had a son named Solomon. Solomon eventually had, through the lineage, Joseph. Then you go back to David. David had another son named Nathan and Nathan through his lineage had a, a child, a woman named Mary. And that's how the two came together. Such an important line. Such an important account. This is a beautiful story. And I keep remembering the Lord sees. The Lord sees all that we go through. It's beautiful. It's reconciliatory. It is healing. It is uplifting. There is always hope in the Lord. For He sees all the details of our lives. He sees our plight in this existence. He has not forgotten any one of you. He has not left any one of you alone. Hold on in faith. Deliverance come to those who wait upon the Lord.
Thus is the ministry of our Father's heart through us. Our utmost desire is to be in the Father's heart, to know the Father's heart, and express the Father's heart to you. If you appreciate listening to this podcast and we're blessed, pass it along to someone else by text, email, or word of mouth in the hopes that they might be positively impacted as you were. If you are interested in supporting our efforts, we would ask you to consider the following. One, pray for us. Two, leave a positive rating or review with whomever you listen to our podcast with. And three, if you desire to contribute monetarily, you can do so at paypal.me slash jbenjesus or cash app dollar sign jbenjesus or Venmo jbenjesus. That's J. B-E-N-J-E-S-U-S. God bless.